Hi, I'm Steve. I'm Erin. And I'm Daniel. And we're the Verbal Reasoning Podcast. Three friends with professional scientific backgrounds. Talking about all things under the sun in the most digestible way. Enjoy. Enjoy. A wonderful guest that we're having on. He's got one of the coolest sounding jobs of anyone we've had on. It's um, like second to Batman, you know. Second to Batman, honestly. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll, get so, there. I'll get there eventually. So what is the title of your job and what is your job and what does it entail basically? So I'm a police officer with the Met and within the Met uh, I'm part of the Violent Crime Task Force. Uh, the Violent Crime Task Force came about two years ago when we had a significant increase in homicides across London, mainly knife enabled. So the mayor and the mayor's office decided to grab funds from the government and um, fund our little unit. So I joined about two years ago and moved over for my last post and I've been on that unit since. So our main focus is stop and search, uh, inter-based uh, arrests, and our main remit is knives and drugs. That's what we're after. So it, it sounds all uh, line of duty-esque, but is that what it actually entails? Like, what's a day-to-day kind of thing that you do? You know, wake up in the morning, how, how does your day go? All right, so on a good day, wake up in the morning, take the dog out for a walk, go to the gym, nice. get back. Very nice. Work. Um, and at work, uh, at, the moment, uh, at the moment, I'm based in North Area, which is Enfield and Harringay, because there have been an increase in uh, violence-related uh, offences, so knife point robberies, stabbings, murders, shotgun, and uh, any other firearm discharges. So they're trying to use our unit to try and drive it down a bit. Um, and like I said, uh, it's mainly around stop and search and uh, intel-based uh, work operations as such. So essentially, we're trying to remove the knives via stop and search to try and bring the um, homicide and stabbing figures down and knife and labor robberies. So you spend most of your time on the streets rather than being stuck inside an office? Absolutely. Exactly yeah. 90% of the time, I'm in a car. We've got unmarked vehicles. Um, so we're like, like less likely to be post, um, spotted. Um, to to the roadmans out there, we're co- we're known as CID, but we're not CID. We just mm-hmm. work in plain clothes. Um, so you know, if a robbery comes out on the radio, uh, we can swarm the area and try and find the suspects. Um, they're less likely to look for unmarked cars than they are marked vehicles like police cars and minibuses. So we've got that element of surprise essentially, um, and we can try and uh, apprehend them. Are the, so, are the cars uh, standardised or like do, is, is it varied? What do you mean? I'm just a bit, a bit of a car guy. I mean, is it, are they all Ford, whatever, or, or is it, do they mix we've them got, up? We've got various. Um, we've got Hyundai, we've got Fords, we've got BMWs, we've got Vauxhalls. So, so you could turn up in a Batmobile? That's, that's my wish. One of these yeah, days. that's, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, give me a BMW 5 Series, I'm happy. Hmm. So it can, you know, it can vary. You just, they, do they just give you a car in the morning? You go out with it and... No, no, I've got, I've got my own car. Essentially, I've got my own work car, which I use. Okay. okay. Um, it's not a great car, but it gets me from A to B. <laughs> so uh, so you mentioned, like... sorry, you mentioned how, um, you know, if you hear something on the radio, you can sometimes like, you know, just go in and try to de-escalate the, the situation or yep. swarm, the, swarm the situation or whatnot. Um, have you ever been involved in something that's kind of gone a bit left or, you know, have you ever felt like you're in danger and, you know, what do you do in that situation? Have you ever froze up or? At the beginning, um, I'll probably tend to, I mean, I remember the first time, um, I was in plain clothes, this was on my old unit and I, I attended a park known for drug dealing. It was about 10 to 15 of these lads who were notorious for drug dealing in that area in Stratford. Uh, if I say that, they probably know what park it is. And uh, one of my colleagues, there's only three of us, um, we had plain clothes on. Um, one of my colleagues recognised one of the males and knew he was wanted for some sort of offence. And as we went to grab him, he pretended that he had a knife. And we were like, oh no. Um, mm-hmm. As you can imagine, when there's 10 or 15 of them going around you, can get a bit hairy. This is like when I was about three or four weeks in, everything's so fresh. I just oh, yeah. like, Oh my god, I didn't even walk the plants this morning. Oh no. I'm not oh, really? That's what you thought? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh shit, am I going to get it back? Um, but in the end, we got him. He, he only pretended he had a knife. He never actually had one. 
but you know, you just know, don't know. He had his hand behind his back, so I was just, I was just a bit. Oh shit, where's this gun go? Is this? So what what do you guys get given as like protection then? Because uh, you know we don't have guns for police officers. I mean, Absolutely. I know some do, but generally speaking, police officers don't have guns. How, how does that work? If you're confronted with someone that has a knife, so we've got a couple of options on our belt. We have a taser, which uh, delivers up to fifty thousand volts. Uh, we have a, an asp or a baton. Uh, we have handcuffs, and we have a parva spray, which is an irritant spray. Uh, for the face mainly. Those so, are uh, would you say that you use those often, or is it? Handcuffs are the most used. Mm. Actually, when it comes to use of force, the most used thing is communication, talking. Mm. Talking can de-escalate a situation very, very quickly. So that's number one. That's my number one option anyway. Um, and then it depends on the situation that you come across, because as the situation develops, you need to think about, okay, what am I going to use now to de-escalate the situation or mm. just complete it, uh, bring it down to complete zero where we're in control and they just got to think and it's all dependent on that situation some situations you'll need a taser some situations you just need a baton some situations you just need your hands mm. what, what, what kind of training do they do you get i mean I, I, I can understand that talking is going to be a big part of your work probably probably like 80 percent of your work is going to be basically how, how do you calm the situation down as you said but like do, did you receive like do you think you received sufficient training and that and what what kind of advice would you give to people in like tough situations um number one advice is you have to win you have to win that situation okay so in your head you should be thinking i'm gonna win this because if you don't you could end up badly hurt um, and in terms of training we get two sessions a year on um, officer safety training. Uh, some of it you utilize, some of it, you know, in, in such a hairy situation, you forget about it. You know, the teacher different holds, uh, different things like pressure points and that. But, you know, when someone's kicking off and your, your brain's going 100 miles an hour, you're not thinking about, oh, you know what? If I use this pressure point, which I learned last week, I'm gonna break, no. You just think, how can I deal with the situation right now? And how can I bring it back down to earth? I think training could be better. I think it should be a quarterly thing, uh, but it is what it is. And with currently with COVID at the moment, uh, they are finding it quite difficult to uh, bring us up to date because they don't want to mix, you know, too many officers from different commands and different boroughs in one room. Because if one person's got it but doesn't know it, he spreads it to twenty other people, and then they go back to their boroughs, and then they're spreading it. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Do you have like the bubble system? Uh, I know like a lot of conventional workplaces have kind of work bubbles to ensure, you know, if this bubble's infected, at least uh, everyone else isn't infected. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting that you mentioned that the Met obviously have a, a system in place to try and reduce COVID, which you, you don't initially think when you think about policing. Um, no, so yeah, we, on our unit, we do have a bubble system. So I've got uh, nine colleagues and one sergeant on my team. Um, our bubble system means that for six weeks we get posted with the same two people in the car, maybe four or three people, but it's mostly the same two people. So you're only working. So if one car, if one person in one car's got it, you only remove that one car from duty because they've got self-isolate instead of the whole unit, which means you're losing 10 officers. So in a way, that's what they've implemented and that's what they've told us to do, which works um, at the moment. Uh, touch wood, no one's got it yet, but you never know what's around the corner. Um, I wanted to kind of like rewind it a little bit before we get more into I mean, I was going to ask you a bit about the stop and searches and stuff like that, but I just want to rewind it a little bit. What was the reason why you decided to join the police force? Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment between, you know, especially ethnic minorities and the police and so on. And there's like a lot of back and forth between these two groups. Um, now you fall into the category of both. So what was the, what was your main reasoning to join the police force when you did i just needed a job man that is uh yeah <laughs> i was like man i need a job um and i thought and growing up so growing up you know my, my parents pushed me towards you know the doctor lawyer engineer sort of route and it was mainly doctors so i did my levels i did biology maths and chemistry the hardest three subjects you could do at a level yeah. Didn't do so, well, Tell me about right? it. <laughs> so um, after that I went to uni um but you know going back a bit you know, I've always wanted to help people. It's always been a sort of thing I do, you know. Mm. And at uni, I decided to do forensics because I wanted to get into sort of helping people 
who have lost a, a relative or something to an unfortunate event. I was like, you know what? I could sit there. Maybe I watched a bit too much CSI. I don't know. But I, I went oh, to okay, yeah, so. <laughs> um, did a, a bachelor's in forensics and did a master's in forensics. And then I came out and because CSI had come out at the same time as everyone else, the market for forensic scientists was really, really high. There was a lot of people that graduated, very few jobs. Mm. It was very, very competitive. And then oh, I must have woken up one day while I was on Facebook where it was a newspaper and I'd just seen them at the time going, we're recruiting. And I thought, oh, you know what? Sounds interesting. You know, I could never see myself as um, an office board. I, could, I can't see myself in an office nine to five. I need some variety in my life. And I thought, well, maybe the police can offer that. Mm. So, yeah, joined the police in 2015, um, coming up to five or six years now in the service. And then from then, it's just... Um, yeah, it's been good. Not, you know, I go into every day, I go into um, work and I just don't know what's going to happen. Like, I have no idea what kind of day I'm having. I'm either going to have a really good day or equally really, really bad day. Um, it just varies, but it keeps you on edge, keeps you on your toes, which is really good. So it sounds kind of more like it was a circumstantial thing more so than something that was like premeditated and thought yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, circumstantial, but then I thought I could always, you know, policing needs your help in the community. Yeah, it kind of just slotted in together and you yeah, ended up in this world. You know, I'm, a, I'm yeah. always, Jade hates this, but I'm, a, I'm such a strong believer of everything happens for a reason. Mm. Yeah. Kismet and stuff like that, yeah? <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so uh, would, you, um, would you say that uh, you're happy with the role that you've had now? And, you know, where do you see yourself in the future? Do you hope to, like, maybe rise through the ranks? Or are you happy with where you are at the moment? Or what's your thoughts about your career going forward? Well, at the moment, I'm happy where I am. Um, mm. I just go out there. I'm just a fun light officer. Go out there, deal with people in the streets. Good mm. experiences, bad experiences. Yeah, good communications and bad ones. Um, in the future, I do look to going out promoting. Um, I was looking to do the skipper's exam, the sergeant's exam, which happens every year. Uh, the next one's in March, so I really should be studying now for it. And then mm. from then, you still got five years to become a sergeant. So you got you got these little hoops and obstacles you got to go But that's that's the name. But past sergeant, it becomes a bit too political, yeah. which is what I'm interested in. Mm. So as a sergeant, you can still go out on the street, but all it means is you've got a bit more responsibility, you've got a team to look after, you've got to look after the needs, and maybe that's as high as high up as I will go. Mm. But you never know. You never know what's going to Maybe I'll go up to inspector. Who knows? But mm. How? Gordon, yeah. yeah. Uh, how how physical would you say your job is? I mean, you can imagine how physical it is. You, you look like you train. I mean, you, you look like a strong bloke. So uh, I wonder, like, how important is your physical health uh, when it comes to your job? To me, it is because I refuse to lose foot chases. It's a pet hate, right? If someone mm. I'm running after someone, I have to get them. Um, and I remember when I first joined the job. My first foot chase was against a 13-year-old, and he won. He got oh, away. No way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He got away, and wow. I was like, right, that's never happening again because I can't come back empty-handed. Mm. So I do train as um, often as four or five times a week, um, play a bit of football and try and keep my fitness up because um, I know, you know, and I've seen it, and I'm sure you guys have seen it, there are police officers who do let themselves go a bit, I was I just about think, to ask you that. Yeah, I just don't <laughs> think it's healthy for uh, the image of the Met and, you know, not healthy for them either. I mean, we're, I mean, I'm, I'm in Edmonton and like, I've seen so many police chases with it. Like, and sometimes you look at the police officers doing the chasing and you think, isn't this like a yearly, like, do you not get yearly kind of tests to check how fit you are to be, because I mean, you just look at it and say, "There's no way this guy's going to win this chase because he, he just doesn't seem to be in good shape." Obviously, mm. you're in good shape. So, if you were to chase after someone, I wouldn't be surprised if you called them. But some of the officers I see around here, they're quite out of shape, and you're thinking, you know, what's the procedure here? Do they not? Let me ask you guys a question. Mm. We every year we have to do the bleep test. Yeah. Okay. What level do you think they test us up to? I'll be honest with you, I never got past four Eight. because I'm very out of shape. So I don't really know. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say, yeah, around six, maybe. Six is like minimum. Seven, eight. Six minimum. So every officer has to reach 5.4. What? That is it. If you want to be level two, so right officers, you've got to go up to 
And then if you want to be Trojan, which is the firearms, SCO19 command, you've got to go to up to 9.6, I believe. Oh, wow. 5.4 is your minimum. Aaron, that's yeah. just, just a bit better than what you did you know as a what? fat kid. Not going to lie, give me a couple of weeks. I might be able to get that, you know. <laughs> only about three minutes running, which, you know. Yeah, that not, doesn't seem... It's not that high, is it? That seems, yeah, it seems pretty low to me. But the way I see if you set the standard as 5.4, like really that low, people are just going to go for it. Maybe yeah. In my personal opinion, say a bit higher, get everyone into um, fitness, get everyone you know, committed to training and raise it up and then maybe you'll get fitter officers on the street who, who don't need to chases or don't do, you know, who don't have their met vests, you know, up here, you know. It actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've seen it all. Like, I'm going to be honest with you, you've seen it, I've seen it and it's just like, hey, you've got to put those burgers down, don't you? <laughs> yeah. do, you get, do you get free gym membership or do you have to pay for that on top? I feel like that would be a good incentive. A couple of our bases do have gyms but they're like, mm. The equipment is all hand-me-downs, like uh-huh. it's really old stuff, so I don't utilise them. Um, I go to my local gym here and I try mm. to train before work and then drive straight to work and shower there. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I do as well, <laughs> but <laughs> except that it, it doesn't require me. It's a bit weird that you said, uh, yeah, that, that does seem quite low, but maybe it's because like that police are under, under-resourced and, you know, they can't afford to lose officers because... Yeah. Like where else are they going to get uh, other officers? Like already we see they're, they're, they're quite, uh, let's say, under pressure. Do you feel like at the moment the police are, like I said, under-resourced? Can, can you feel it on your day-to-day role? We certainly feel it coming from the senior leadership team. Um, but, you know, my unit is funded by the mayor. Um, so they want us to just carry on and doing what we're doing. Um, it might be a bit different if I was on response team. I know they, they're certainly feeling the pressure uh, only because, you know, I think their role has changed quite significantly significantly over the years. Um, whereas before we had a, a, C, a little CRD or a, a CPU even who would take crimes on and officers had nothing. Now all the police officers on the street are those ones carrying that crime as well. So whilst they're still responding to 999 calls or S grades, um, they've still got to investigate burglaries, um, and offences as far as rape and stuff which wow. you know coming to work and you're like oh my god I've got six crimes to investigate but then the sergeant's telling me to go and take that eye grade stabbing so now I've got to go to the stabbing and deal with someone that's been stabbed and now I've got to go to hospital but then I've still got to deal with six other offences you've only got eight hours a day I mean if you don't feel that pressure then there's something wrong with you <laughs> but that's a lot of pressure mm. to take and you know you've got to take that back home and then Next day you come back in and like mm-hmm. I said, you could have a really, really quiet shift or you could have a hectic one where you get robberies, stabbings, um, rapes, all sorts of stuff coming out. And you know, that takes its toll on officers, which is why I've always said, you know, I've got a couple of friends on response team. I'm like, what are you doing there? You've, you've done your two years, get out. Mm-hmm. Because you're done, you've done, you've committed your two years to it. You can go now, you can go somewhere else where there's not as much pressure, like on my mm-hmm. unit. Or, you know, all the tons of units we have across the net. There's always is, something else you can do. This has made me think, um, you said you talk about the pressure that you as officers are, are undertaking. Mm-hmm. Is there any support? Like, is there any mental health kind of... Yeah, we do. ...within the Met for you? Yeah, we've got the, um, these things called the Blue Light Champions, who are people you can talk to. Or there's mm-hmm. lots of phone numbers you can call. Um, not many people like to confide in their partners or talk to their partners about their work stuff. They like to just keep it, you know, hush hush or keep it to themselves because sometimes it's not worth putting that pressure on someone else. But yeah, they do offer loads of support. But you know, we've, with the Met, where, where, where the majority of officers are men and us men have an issue about talking about stuff. Yeah. Those phone lines aren't always called. Mm. Um, so sometimes it just it just comes down to the to, to the teams I think you know I can come in one day and I'll notice someone's a bit quiet you just have that chat and then see what they mm. say if they don't want their help then that's fine but at least you you know you try to speak to them yeah put the hand out mm. I mean you've obviously said it's a very uh, stressful job at times there's a lot of pressure and uh, so on how do you think this affects the way you know, the police do their policing when it comes to situations which can escalate and can be tense. You know, obviously, 
often, well, we're not as, well, I don't want to say we're not as bad here. I, I don't really know what the stats are, but obviously, you know, in America is very bad where, you know, you, the whole thing with George Floyd happened and that was as a result of, you know, a minor altercation that just escalated above and above. And, uh, you know, from the police side, we're often told it's quite, you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's this and that going on. You, you might not feel safe, which might cause things to escalate. What do you think the situation is like here in the UK? I mean, when you're doing a stop and search, you know, what are the things that you as a person being stopped should pay attention to? And is there anything on the side of the police which you think might be done better? What do you mean? Like, for example, do you think um, if, you're, if you're getting stopped and searched, let's say I'm walking down the street, police officer comes to stop and search me. Is there anything that, for example, I should pay specific attention to? And do you think there's anything that maybe the police officer is doing because they're also under pressure or they feel kind of uncomfortable with the situation that maybe they, they shouldn't do? Okay. So when it comes to stop and search, um, the majority of it falls to proactive units such as the TSG, mm -hmm. um, the VCTF or proactive CRD. Uh, it will be very rare that a response officer stop and searches you unless it's linked to a call. For example... Mm -hmm. Um, we've got an S grade now, uh, two males acting suspiciously outside a home address. This is what they're wearing. And then the unit will go down to see them and go, mate, you match the description. Mm. This is what we've got. When it comes to being stopped and searched, the way I see it, if you've got nothing to worry about or nothing on you, just comply and just, just go with it. I know it's mm. uncomfortable. Um, it's happened mm. to me before. You know, I've been, I've been stopped by police driving yeah. home from work. Okay. And it happens. Um, but as, of, as an officer myself, and I'm sure I can speak on the behalf of my colleagues, within five seconds of my interaction with you, I will know whether you're going to be stopped and searched or not. Mm. Okay? I'll make up my mind within five seconds. What's the sort of cues that you look for? Um, it's a lot with the behavior, a lot of the mm. communication, their attitude towards you. Okay? So if I see someone walking down the street thinking, oh, well, I wonder whether he's got something illegal on him. Let me go and chat to him because it's not illegal to chat to someone, right? It's, mm. it's not an account. We don't do them anymore, but it's just, it's just a chat. Yeah. And then going on off the back of how his behavior is, um, is he nervous? Is he stuttering? Um, is he, does he do, do the confidence touch? Um, so the confidence touch is uh, when you speak to someone as a police officer and they've got something illegal on them, Hmm. Often they'll touch their pockets to see if they've still got it. Oh, okay. I didn't know that actually. So I'll tell you a quick story. Um, it was in Tower Hamlet about a year ago. Uh, we got a call uh, from a member of the public saying these Asian males are hiding knives in this estate. So hmm. we fly down to the estate and I've seen two males and they've matched the description given. So as I've gone to speak to them, uh, gone, mate, listen, I'm stopping you because. We've had a call from men, probably saying males matching the other description. I've got knives. And as soon as I said knives, he put his hand on his waist and touched the knife that he had. And I could see it against mm. the cloth. So at that point, that's when I detained him. He wasn't detained at the start because I was only talking to him. Okay. But because of his behavior, he looked around, he had a quick glance around to see if he had an escape route. And then he touched, he did the confidence touch. Um, turns out he had two knives on him. Mm. Uh, but it's little cues like that that I pick up, and it comes with, you know, repetition, doing the job in and out, mm. and just looking for that sixth sense that you might pick up. I mean, members of the public might not pick it up, but having done the job for five years, I, I can pick up little little cues that might make me think, oh, okay, I'm gonna get something out of this, but out of this search. Mm. I feel like Steve would fail these cues. I'm sorry to just call you out like that. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was listening and I was like, uh, stuttering. I'm like, damn, I stutter a lot. <laughs> <laughs> nervous behavior. I'm pretty sure I'd be pretty nervous for no reason. I mean, like, do you, can you tell the difference between a genuine person who's nervous or someone who's just nervous because, you know, it's, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's an unusual situation for a police officer to talk to you. It's, it's like getting, you know, it's like uh, getting stopped by the police at a, uh, uh, let's say when you're driving to check your license etc you, you, you know you know you have nothing to hide but you're just like stuttering and like shuffling around yeah. which is stupid uh, that, that's kind of why i asked the question because i meant in terms of like okay you're doing the stop and search they fit the description 
but there might be situations where the person isn't necessarily they, they haven't done anything but they yeah. people do get antsy because of yeah. you know, the way public relations with the police are some people are just they automatically get afraid which is why i asked is there stuff that we should avoid is there stuff that the police can do maybe to make them feel there's better? nothing there's not there's really nothing to avoid um however i'm also a big believer of you know if you do stop and search someone who does match the description hmm. um, and they comply and you search and you find nothing have a chat with him after, you know, I'll spend a good five minutes after. Okay, mate, do you understand why you've been stopped today? Mm. Yeah. And then explain, explain the law um, and just have that report. Uh-huh. 80% of the time, people that have searched with nothing on them, they walk away with, oh, you know, man, you're, you're quite cool, you. Yeah. It's mm. just having that chat after. It's when you get stopped by police and we do have certain officers who are very blunt with you, very blunt, um, almost command you to do stuff and then sort of pack your pockets and then walk away. You mm. haven't had that rapport, you haven't had any communication, you just feel a bit used or, you know, like, yeah, a bit violated. And I mm. do get it, and I do get it is a violation. However, you know, people that carry these things, they don't tell us they carry them. You know, they're concealed for a reason mm. because they're not supposed to be carrying them. Um, so, yeah, stop and search trials work. But, you know, like I said at the beginning, if you've got nothing to hide, just comply. If you've got questions, ask. I'm more than happy to ask any questions. If you refuse mm. to give me your name and details, that's fine. That's your right. I'm never going to force it out of you. Actually, you know what? It's interesting you talk about, like, what's your right and what's not your right. So can you kind of talk us through a, a stop and search situation? Mm-hmm. What do you have a right to ask and what do you not have a right to ask? Just so that people know. I mean, some people will just read something on Facebook and will say, oh, no, actually, they don't have a right to do this. But like, you know, just you as a police officer now, what is a person's rights when you want to go and stop and search them? And okay. what should then, shouldn't they? Or what can they do and what can't they do? So before you ever get searched, the police officer has to say seven things to you. Now, that's cool. Is it seven? Yeah, seven, eight things. Sorry. Mm. The acronym for that is Go Wisely. I don't know if you've heard it. No, go no. Wisely. Okay. So G is grounds. The officer has to explain the grounds. Mm. Okay. O is for object. The officer has to explain what object he's looking for, um, what he suspects he's going to find on you. Okay. Wisely. Um, so the W is warrant. If you're not wearing uniform, you need to provide your warrant card. You need to show them your warrant card to show that you're a police officer before any search. Um, I is for the, the law that you're going to be using, okay? Mm-hmm. Under what power, basically. Um, S is what station you're based at. You've got to tell them where you're from. So if I'm based at uh, Stratford, I've got to tell them I'm from Stratford Police Station, mm-hmm. okay? E is for entitlements. Um, so you've got to inform them that they are entitled to a copy of the stop and search slip. That can be provided at the time. Um, or within the year, they can collect it anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, law, the L is the power, so whether it's a section 23 misuse of drug search, or a section one pace search, and then Y is for you're detained. So if mm-hmm. you don't tell them they're detained at all, they were never detained. Is that like the UK version of what we see in like uh, movies in America where it's like, oh, you have to read them their rights sort of thing, where if you don't say to them you, what or has it go? Sorry, you're thinking about the caution. You have you have the right to an independent. Yes, system. I'm thinking of that. Yeah, okay. That's that's a caution you say after arrest. Oh, so the the why is before it? Yeah, no, that this is go. Why this is strictly for the stop and search. So okay. Right, also has to tell you all those things. If the officer starts going into your pockets or mm. any of those things or even half of them, it's an illegal search. Shouldn't be doing that. So let's say you find something in the person's pocket, but you haven't done those things. Yes. Is all of that now thrown out because, yes. you, oh, it's thrown out. So even if you were to find something because you haven't done that. If you haven't given go wisely, hmm. it's, it's done. Has that ever happened before to anyone you know where they've not done that properly and ended up? Personally, you know, no. No, no, okay. no, no one I've, I've ever worked with. Um, yeah, go wisely must be given at all times before a search. If you don't do it, it's an illegal search. But all the work you put in is pointless, isn't it? Mm. Okay. Well, I will stop and search. I will stop and search is like recorded on camera because Howard. Yes. Um, oh yeah. Okay. So I was thinking Howard. Since the introduction of body worn videos about okay. two three years ago, 
any interaction you have with the public, um, you have to put your body worn on every time. Okay. Okay. Obviously, not like a chat with Mrs. Miggins where she's going, oh, how's your day going? Yeah, yeah that's not so important. Any like, yeah. <laughs> any meaningful chat you're having, um, mm. or any any times you're coming up with someone, you just need to put it on. It uh, it mm. saves. You know, it's driven our complaints down because people can't make silly complaints because yeah. let's wash your body worn and go, well, actually that didn't happen. And it also allows for more transparency. So if people do request to watch the body worn for a call or for the press or whatever, we can just provide and go, yeah, this is what happened. Yeah. Maybe I want to like take it to another subject. Uh, obviously we, so we grew up in the same areas around Tottenham, Edmonton Green, that kind of area. And growing up, like it, it wasn't unusual uh, for us to basically hear about stabbings, see about stabbings. And before, let's say the generation before that, I remember them telling us, oh yeah, back when we were growing up, it was more just people were fighting each other. And uh, now now reaching like, obviously I've grown up and looking at the crime stats, it's, look, it's seeming like shootings are becoming the, the yeah, next big thing. Uh, I, I want to probe your mind on that and ask you maybe, do you see that, that uh, firearms are being used more? Uh, or, and also, why, why is that the case? Is it, does the police have a like a concept of why there's been a transition between stabbings and shootings? Um, I don't think, oh, you've only got my personal opinion on this. Um, it's got, to me, it feels like it's all got to do with hierarchy. Um, a lot of shootings are gang related. Um, if you have a, so you start off here, where you have your little fights, your robbers, then you go up the gang matrix and you've got the, the ones who carry knives, the ones who go out on ride outs and stab each other, and you've got top tier. Um, if you can get access to a gun, you're a big fish. Um, and it's, it just shows a certain you know, levels you can get at. You know, if, if someone's aware that you've gone out and uh, ridden out to this area and you've uh, fired off a nine mil sign, you know, they know they can't mess with you. Mm. Um, but it's only certain areas that I've seen a rise um, especially in gun discharge, and one of them being in North London, and it's been loads recently. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's about stopping everything at the source, which is the import of guns, but it's very, very difficult. I mean, it's a great success when we do get them um, off the street in batches, but yeah, you know, yeah. these shooters are from years ago. You know, they'll go out with uh, pistols from the, the wild, wild west. You know, it's. Um, <laughs> that's the sort of stuff we see yeah yeah it's incredible how the how resourceful they, they can find guns um so, so, so yeah my, my concept was that yeah it was it's basically imported through europe somehow yeah um uh, so that's crazy um yeah like yeah. if if i was on a specialist gun gun crime unit i would probably tell you more but the majority of stuff that we come across are you know uh, low level drug offenses and knives mm -hmm. rather than guns um Having said that, people do find guns on stop and searches. You know, it happens. You know how you said you are like, uh, you know, you wear plain clothes and stuff sometimes. When you say like, when you say that, you kind of think undercover automatically and people mm -hmm. think of like the departed with Leonardo DiCaprio and like all that, all of that sort of stuff. But like, what's it like when you're, you know, approaching someone as like maybe if, if you're undercover, let's say. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see all these like videos on YouTube and uh, Twitter and whatnot where they're like, you have my slime. Yo, my slime. I know you really don't know, madam, like that. But I was wondering if, like, I could purchase something still, fam. Just a bit of grub, madrilla. I want to know, like, what your price is saying, because I'm trying to blend my zoot up with my boy, them and gal, them G. Like, you feel me? So, get back to me, because I know, like, you're the top dog around here. I want to purchase the food from you, Bruce. Nobody else. So, peace out, though. Raw safe. And get back to me on a quick thing, bro, them. How do you how do you carry yourself when you're just wearing plain clothes and you're an officer and you're just walking down the street? How do you approach people that you might suspect something from? I think I'd like to think, you know, the majority of the time, um, if I'm making the first move, let's say, or approaching someone to talk to them or pull a car over, I, I come I'm, I come with you with the same vibe I'm talking to you guys at. I'm, I'm level-headed. Um, I won't go in too high because, you know, if you go in too high, then you're talking to them up here. The staff chilled, have a quick chat, uh, explain what you're doing in the area, and then take it from there. I'll pretty much go out dressed like this and just 
you know, and you know, half the time because I was like, oh, I can't believe he's fit. You know, you know, I yeah. like to blend in. Um, and because I'm quite um, media savvy and I'm into social media, you know, follow all these pages on Instagram so I know what's going on. Mm. Um, you know, I know about the Stormzy and Chip Beef. You know, I can talk to them about <laughs> stuff. Um, I know everything that happens, you know, sometimes I do stop grime artists and because I've seen their profile, I will talk to them about stuff they post. Mm. As soon as they know that you're sort of on the same level to an extent, the only difference is I'm working as a police officer and you're not, it does bring the tension down. And, you know, we can walk away, you know, if nothing's done about it, at least we've had a chat, we've got that, we've had a good rapport and we can just walk away as, you know. I, w- I was going to ask about the social media thing. I mean, do people implicate themselves a lot using social media? And like, how does that hold up in court? Uh, is, that, is that a thing that the police would use? Like if you, if you are on social media, as you said, you know, t- shooting a gun in the air and you post it on social media, can the police yeah. then prosecute you using that? Absolutely. They can, Absolutely. okay. Yes. And a lot of the times, you know, they do get implicated themselves, you know, just by, just, just by taking those photos for the clout, you know. They'll, yeah, they'll yeah. for it, you know, and it happens. And, you know, it's hard to say, but they're silly. It's just a, such a silly thing to do. You know, the biggest gangsters are the ones that don't get caught. And they yeah. don't get caught because they're smart. The ones that do get caught are the ones doing it for the social media views. Fair enough. So, like, you know, what you post on social media isn't without, you know, uh, consequence, I guess. So if you do post something on there, you can get, you know, done for it. Everything stays on the internet, doesn't it? Because mm. you say anything on the internet, post anything on the internet, it stays on there forever. And if you've got access to it, we've got access to it. Because mm. I know that we've got access to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to take like your personal feeling um, on per- public perception on the police. Uh, obviously, depending on the areas you go to. Uh, to be frank, like growing up uh, where we grew up, it was kind of negative. You, you know what I mean? Like uh, the whole CID thing and all that. Like we're quite. Uh, it's like words that we know <laughs> are quite obvious to us. Uh, but obviously, growing up out of there, it's all in uh, perspective. What, what do you think the public perception is like for the police? Do you feel like it's positive? Do you feel like it depends on the pockets of areas? Yeah, it's, it's vastly dependent on where you patrol and where you're going, all right? The public perception, perception of myself in, where can I say, in Hemel Hempstead or Highgate will be different to the public perception of myself in Hackney, yeah? Mm. People in Hackney, um, mainly due to the demographic, are going to have more resentment towards the police than the people in Highgate, um, and, and that's just down to so many factors, factors of socioeconomic, um, the, the sort of people that sort of live there, um, the poverty line and where that lies. And you can see Highgate and Hackney are totally different places. Yeah, yeah. See, one requires a more responsive and proactive policing effort than one, the other one does. And sadly, with the proactive policing effort, you are going to get some resentment from the community. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just something that we've got to take on board um, I, I personally think we should be doing more research on those communities before we do them so as the unit that I'm on every three months we move um, wherever there's an increase in violent crime in London okay so I'm in North Ferry for three months I might get moved I might go to Walthamstow for three months but before I go to Walthamstow I'd like to study about the area mm-hmm. sort of know the demographic sort of know um, it's history, so I know what kind of responses I can have and what kind of resentment, if any, I'm going to get in me and how I can deal with it best. Okay? Yeah. If you stuck me, right, if you took me out of East London, where um, my base is, and took me all the way to Brixton, I could go there and cause an absolute riot by not knowing about the, um, the Brixton riots and not knowing why everyone was so mad at the time. And you could do that to a new officer and they'd have no idea. Mm. Okay, so it, is, it, it does depend. It really does depend. You know, I could, you know when, I was in Hack- when I was working in Hackney, you know, every, ser- every stop and search would attract neighbours, the community, they're all out, you know, 20, 30 people trying to get a reaction from me because they didn't like people from their own communities getting searched. But the problem is your community has seen an increase in homicides. So what's the answer? You know, yeah, what's that's... In between? What, yeah. What, 
You know, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. It's very tough. We're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. Like, it's my opinion that like it needs a holistic approach. So for sure, yeah, the, the proactive approach is necessary. That's part of the solution. But also I think a big part of the solution is to tackle the issues from, from grassroots. You know, a lot of these kids are essentially groomed into gangs when they're, honestly, when they're, they're kids like 13 or even younger. Um, you know, lack of opportunities, etc. So I, I think like there's a community approach, but of course you can't just say, oh, just do the community approach and then let people out rampant. There has to be also a proactive approach, but yeah. it's about finding the right balance, in my opinion. But, you know, you say finding the right balance, but I think the balance should be on the side of the community approach. I think the community should be doing more to stop this, these happening. Um, and, and sadly, I see the trend um, mm. in the people I, you know, the young the youngsters that I stop and search and find stuff on, um, a lot of these arrests allows us to go and search their premises, especially at the supply of drugs. And you go to their homes and 90% of the time, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You've got one mum. She's got three other young kids. The house is a mess. There's no food. Mum's not washed your clothes. So why wouldn't you sell drugs to make some money and get some nice things? Yeah, yeah. I get it. And I tell them, I get it. It's not the way to do it, but I understand where you come from. And like you said, it's all about circumstances. You know, if you're not if you're not born in that sort of household and you're born in a nice, you know, it takes you a completely different route. You know, I'm not saying that if you're if you're poor and you've only got one parent, you should, you're definitely going to be selling drugs, but it plays a part, plays a massive part. No, no, I totally agree. And yeah, when I say balance, I, I meant more of, uh, yeah, the balance is more community based, like you said. Like, how do you, I mean, how, how do you even justify that in a society, yeah. you know, like? Where do you begin? Where, where do you begin? Exactly, yeah. If you start at that point, like, what chance do you really, if you re, do you yeah. really have, you know, in the future? And, you know, the sad, things, the sad thing is, it just becomes a little circle and you come across them again and again. The only difference is, they're getting older and you know they carry more dangerous things yeah yeah no totally and yeah i can echo that to be honest uh, i think we <laughs> we've seen that trend in the past um mm-hmm. yeah maybe we can we, we had some questions from our listeners so thank you listeners for submitting uh questions and uh yeah so maybe we could start off with a light one yeah. so what was your happiest day at your job <laughs> happiest day um i don't actually know um it can't be that bad. No, it can't be that bad. I've received two commendations in the five years I've been in the job. Um, so that's when, you know, a panel chooses an incident that you've been to, which you handle well and give you an award. So I guess receiving one of those was uh, was pretty pretty nice. Um, I had my mum and dad took them to it. But they were pretty chastised. So I guess that was that. And that was the happiest moment I received that commendation. Yeah, that's a pretty. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, and I go the exact opposite direction and say, "What was your worst day on the job?" <laughs> oh, worst day! You do get them. You do. Yes. Oh, I don't know actually. Um... Now there's too much choice. Or... <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, oh, I don't know. There's so many. Or is. <laughs> The thirteen-year-old one was pretty uh, embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that was, believe it or not, that wasn't the worst. I can't actually think. Um, I've had some pretty, pretty bad days. Um, you know, when I say pretty bad days, it's it's just those days where, you know, you might be working for sixteen hours on the shot, or you might end up in hospital mm. looking after someone who killed themselves. And you know, sadly, you're in that situation. You know, you're, you're acting as yeah. a doctor, a police officer, a mental health patient. You know, a friend, a mum. You're yeah. trying to stop this person and you know being in hospital when that sort of stuff happens it's a bit that's a bit rubbish luckily i don't come across them as often um but you know mental health crisis is a serious thing and it's it's a regular call you know we get calls all the time uh that response team we've got to deal with you know oh my daughter's in a bedroom she's locked herself in and she's trying to harm herself you know we've got to attend those things don't we um so i I can only imagine it's the response officers are going to have much worse days than i am yeah we've had one um what's the most rewarding thing from your job rewarding um 
personally, I hate robbers. Um, so rewarding is catching them after they've robbed a 12, 13-year-old victim and catching them with the victim's property. That's really rewarding, you know, and you can, you can go back to the victim and go, look, mate, I know he, put, he took a knife out and he tried to, to stab you for your stuff, but mate, we caught him. And it's, you know, the feeling, because mm. you know, I've been on the end of that before and it's emotionally draining um, and it affects people in a really bad way, especially if you've never been in that situation. It's become a much mm. more common thing. So yeah, catching robbery suspects, um, those are really rewarding. Um, yeah. Mm, speaking of more robberies, I know that like what what's really grown has been like moped thefts, hasn't hasn't it? Uh, recently in in London, it's quite a big thing. Um, moped thefts have gone down a bit um, in the last year since we impl- implemented of Venice, um, which is a sort of sister unit to what we do. Um, so we've got specially trained officers who can and are allowed to pursue mopeds. And as soon as they came in, people on mopeds like mm, they can knock us over now. I don't really. Oh, care. brilliant. Yeah. Um, however on the increase now I don't don't know if you've seen them e-scooters really e-scooters people are stealing stuff with e-scooters that sounds kind of funny they're either stealing e-scooters or they're using e-scooters to steal Um, they're worth two three hundred pounds and they are becoming such a common thing such a common occurrence that that's one of the biggest biggest things um, people lose in robberies at the moment that and um, AirPods, always AirPods. I feel like I'm asking all the dark questions, but I'm going to ask another. <laughs> um, so you're obviously in the violent crimes task force. What was the most violent crime that you you saw or you were part, you know, responding to? Uh, so this commendation that I got last year, was it last year? Oh, it was the beginning of this year, sorry. It was an incident I came across last year. Um, we were on patrol in E6 in East Ham. Uh, where we've had a call from a member of the public saying there was a bloke chasing a woman armed with two knives. Um, we happened to be in the area, and at the time, they were getting like really faint description of what these knives were. Um, however, um, because it was knife-enabled, and somebody mentioned the word machete, um, firearms officers were declared, and they, can, they were on their way, basically. But we happened to be on the road where the incident occurred and the bloke happened to walk in front of our car. So when it becomes a firearms incident, only firearms officers can deal with the situation. As normal officers, we're not allowed to engage. We can keep an eye, but we cannot intervene. We've got to wait for people armed with guns to turn up. So as soon as, as it had been declared a firearms incident, this bloke happened to walk in front of me and I could see he had a meat cleaver in one hand and a knife in the other. And I looked at my colleague and I went, I'm going, because wow. he was approaching members of the public. And if I was, I couldn't, it wouldn't sit well in my conscience if he hurt someone and I'd been there mm. and I appreciate it's already been declared, but he's right there, I've got a taser, I'm gonna deal with this situation. So as he's walked across, uh, my colleague stopped the car, I've got out turned on my taser, pointed it at him and told him to put it down. For about 10 to 20 seconds, like the world stopped for about 10 to 20 seconds. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I could see the red dots on his chest and I thought he's not going to put him down. He's not going to put him down. So whilst my colleagues calling and saying, we've got him, I'm thinking, am I going to have to pull the trigger? Eventually, um, and saves me a ton of paperwork, he puts the, <laughs> the knife down and um, we've got him down um, and then firearms officers attended about a couple of seconds later and they were like why did you go I was like well what do you want me to do you know he was there I was like yeah fair enough um, so that's, that's, that's <laughs> the word I got um, for dealing with that situation mm. um, I believe he got six months in prison for that um, he just had a bit of a mental health episode he had a cocktail of uh, drugs and alcohol and he just went on a bit of a rampage uh, luckily no one was injured um, but yeah, that was pretty. Yeah, that's pretty brave, to be honest. <laughs> you know, he could have lunged at you at any point. Or yeah, that's 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 at one good point, stuff. You know, part of me is like, is he gonna do it? Surely he's not. Surely he's not that stupid. And I'm glad he just put the knives down in the end because, oh, mate, he would have fried. Yeah, yeah. 
What is that, 50,000 volts? Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and yes, it does hurt because I have accidentally tasered myself, but it's okay. <laughs> oh, my well, yeah, that, might so worst day. that might be your worst day. That might be your worst day. I wasn't because the, the time that happened is when I was chasing someone and what I was trying to do, like running, I was trying to change cartridges and I didn't realise that one was still active. So I was right. like, sitting in between it, it just popped uh, up. However, I did get him in the end, so it wasn't a bad uh, day at all. Worth. Okay. <laughs> worth, yeah, definitely worth. <laughs> One of our listeners had a question and they were asking about martial arts and whether, you know, in, in the police force, do they like teach you anything? Because uh, uh, I, I remember I used to train at a club and uh, the guy who who headed the place was uh, a police officer and he taught jujitsu. Um, I, I, I wonder if, if, if you had any formal training in martial arts or if it's useful. No, um, I wish we did, to be honest. I think that would be quite cool. However, I don't know, they don't teach you martial arts. They teach you... Uh, holds they teach you takedowns but ultimately when you're in that situation the thing you got to do is one you got to win and two never get down before they do um, so if that involves just grappling with them that's all it is so it's a bit it's a bit like judo basically um, yeah. most of the time it's just like judo and you just want to get on top of them first before they do um, but no the, the men don't don't have martial arts classes it's something that you got to pursue yourself if you want to mm. Yeah, I think that'd be quite useful. Yeah, I, I went to a, because I did a bit of judo, I went to a seminar and it was, uh, so I think it was a, from, a guy from Glasgow and he was quite experienced, a uh, police officer. And he was teaching us about, again, most of most of the seminar wasn't actually judo, it was verbal communication. So it was like, you, you know, nine times out of 10, how you speak to someone and how you, you know, approach someone can just de-escalate the situation anyway. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, it was quite interesting to see that take. And then, yeah, he did teach us a few uh, slams, but... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. Just slam them down. Yeah. <laughs> are, 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 you, are you working now? How does it work? Do you do, like, uh, days off and um, days on? So, on my pattern, it's a lot of uh, 10 eights and 12 to 10s. So, we do 10-hour shifts. Uh-huh. Um, but it all varies. So, I'm currently on my five days off, believe it or not. But um, next week, I start a six-day row. So, I'll do Tuesday to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be off for three days, then I'm back in for Thursday, Friday, off for the weekend, back in for five days, off for the weekend, back in for three days, off for yeah. five, back in for six. So it does change. Um, it's not the pattern that everyone else follows. Our response team will follow a six or seven day pattern where they'll do two earlies, two lates, two nights. Right. At the moment, I don't do night shift, which is all right, I guess. I don't mind doing them because a whole different bunch of criminals come out at night than the ones that come out at <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, it's nice to have like a normal sort of sleeping pattern let's say yeah, what do you eat imagine. sorry what do you eat because i'm just thinking of food and like how do i eat food while i'm working um without breaks obviously yeah um a lot of the times we might not get to eat when we want it's more mm. if we can um so you know on our 12 10s i come in and i've already made lunch and i've had my lunch straight away at yeah. work so that I can go out and patrol one one thirty, okay. and then we'll, we'll, we'll all agree on the time to sort of come back in for half an hour and have a bunch to eat. Or, or you, you know, you could end up in another borough. You could end up in custody at the time, and you can't eat, and you just got to make do. So I carry plenty of snacks, a lot of uh, protein bars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mid chase, take out the protein bar. You know, a little bit. <laughs> anyway, energy. Before I go into custody or get a chance to eat before an operation, I'll grab that chance because. Sometimes I never know what I'm going to eat again. So. Yeah, those, those shifts sound diabolical, man. The 10 hours and yeah. six days straight. That's yeah. <laughs> so hungry. With so the six hungry. days, it's never just 10 hours a day. Mm. Uh, it, you do loads of other time. So I'll, I'll never finish on time. And by the end of the week, I might smash that 80 hours. No. And it does have its total. Eight hour wow. weeks. When that is like diabolical. 35. And you go gym. Anti go gym, that's yeah. not crazy. Yeah. Easy. Actually yeah. Superman, like Yeah. <laughs> You're definitely one of those people that are like, you know, yeah, I wake up at four AM, I get this done, I get that. Like you just sound like one of those people where you get a lot of stuff done with the hours you have because <laughs> <laughs> Superman in one podcast. That's pretty right, mate, you know, sometimes at four thirty I'm in uh, I'm still at work, so No yeah. damn <laughs> He's just gonna dash out of our of our camera view just Catch the criminal right now. Sorry, <laughs> 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 um, 
Have you ever had like, un- like, well, when you're just like in civilian clothes, like not doing your job, have you ever had the moment where something is kicked off and you're like, oh, I, I should get involved? Yeah, um, I did. I went on a, um, a bike ride with two, uh, three of my mates in 2017. Mm. Um, so we went from the north of Devon all the way down to south of Plymouth. So oh, it was like wow. 100 miles. And on the second day, we, went, we, we were in a town called Tavistock. Um, we went out and got, got some Indian, and then on the way back, we're walking, and I can hear screaming. I can hear a woman screaming. Um, one of my mates then was in the job. He was at training school with me. Um, right. So it was me and him who were in the job, and then the other two just mates of mine who had no experience of policing. Mm. So I had two thoughts going in my head. Oh, me and Dan were looking at each other going, please let it not be the way we're walking home. Please. <laughs> However, the other part of me is, I better be, because we need to deal with this. So as we're walking home, we look to our left on the main road, and there's a woman lying, uh, sitting on the floor by a brick wall in a big, bulky, Nazi-looking, yeah. tribal tattooed, like, bald-looking over her. Wow. And I'm like, oh, he's definitely pushed over that brick wall. 100% he's <laughs> Okay. Um, and you could tell they were in some sort of relationship. So now you've got mm. a domestic incident. A uh, domestic incident is, you know, when you have some sort of offence and the, the parties involved have some sort of relationship. So you could have domestic with your mum, you could have domestic with your brother, sister, father-in-law. As long as, long as there's a relationship, it's a domestic. Mm. Now, with domestics in couples, they are the most violent because they are a crime of passion. Okay? Right, right. Crime of passion, crime of love. So when you do like, on a side note, if you ever go to a domestic, never take anyone in the kitchen because that's where the knives are. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was told at training school. Never go in the kitchen. That's where they keep the knives. So I'm now looking at them and I'm looking at Dan and now she's looking at us going, please help me. We were the only four people on the street. And I was like, okay, we're just going to have to help now. So we've gone over and we've established a situation. Um, uh, girlfriend and boyfriend, they've had some sort of fight. He's got angry and he's pushed over the wall. Doesn't look like it's the first time he's ever done it. And it doesn't look like it's the last time he's ever going to do it. Hmm. So I'm on the phone to 999. There was one unit covering like a 40 mile radius because it's Tavistock. Awesome, oh. nowhere. Yeah. So I'm like, oh my God, they're going to be more than 20 minutes. This is going to kick off. <laughs> so we're having a chat with the bloke. And he seems all right. He's a bit angry. He's a bit pissed off that we're intervening. But, you know, we have to, it's a domestic. If we let him, if we leave and then he kills her that night, it's our fault. Mm-hmm. So with domestics, you've got separated parties, which is why in all domestics, ideally one get, person gets arrested. So they go to custody and call off and then they can go back and make up. But you've got to remove one person out of that situation. If you leave him alone, it could escalate and then someone could end up killing someone else. So we had to stay on the scene. And it was all going well. And at one point I thought the male was leaving. And then Dan decides to, whilst he's talking to the victim, starts to pat her on, the sho- on her shoulder. Now this Nazi looking bloke didn't like that because you just touched his missus. No, no. I'm like, fuck. Oh my God. I know exactly what's happening now. So he's <laughs> the and he's pushed Dan over the same brick wall. And then my reaction is, because he's bigger than me, my reaction is, jump on his back like he's a gorilla and have a little <laughs> and just bring him down. Uh, so without thinking, I've just jumped on his back, got my hands around his neck and just brought him down. And Dan's got back up and now me, Dan and this Nazi bloke are having a massive fight on the floor. Around, <laughs> and Dan's getting punched in the face and then Dan punches him back in the face. And then amongst all that, like I said, calm and passion, now the woman's getting involved in telling us to get off her man. Oh my oh days. My, oh my yeah. days. And then you've got two of our mates who are prancing around like little reindeers because they don't know what's going on. <laughs> what um, and I'm just instructing them. So I'm telling her to get off me. You know, her makeup's on the floor, her, his watch is broken, her handbag's spilled open. It's all carnage. And then mate, I'm telling him, mate, grab his legs, just sit on his legs, twist them up, sit on him. And eventually he runs out of energy and then she comes down and the police unit come uh, and take him away and he gets arrested for all sorts of stuff. So the common assault on my mate, he also... He got a bit confused and he didn't know what race I was. So he became racist towards me 
but he kept on changing from me smelling like a Turkish kebab to <laughs> me um, looking like an Indian or something <laughs> other. And I remember saying this to him, as I'm mate, be racist if you want, but at least pick the right race. Like, yeah. <laughs> get it right. Get it right. Um, so he ended up going to custody that night and then we got a little payout. We got like 200 quid each. Um, oh, nice. But that's oh, the only time I think I've ever had to act on a off-duty. It's like hot fuzz. Like, you, know, you went to the countryside, there's one officer. Yeah, it was mad. It was like, yeah, we've only got one, one unit and they might be quite a while. I was like, just tell him to hurry up because he's going to kick off. And I knew he was going to kick off, you know. But it is. It was a good experience. That was a good experience. Only because we won. If we hadn't won. Yeah, I was about to say, it's only good because you won now. <laughs> yeah. Could have gone very low. Did you give any of the money to your mates? Just asking to put it on my head. Uh, the yeah, I had money, paid for my whole trip. I yeah. wasn't going to give it to anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love how you described him as a, was it, a prancer reindeer? Yeah, honestly, it was. You know, I looked back and I was just like... Oh, that's hilarious. Like, when you think about the UK, I guess because of because of London, you know, we're used to it. But then when you leave, you're like, oh, yeah, it's so sparse. And I guess policing so different compared to London. Yeah, uh, maybe absolutely. like Manchester can compare, but it's, it's, it's just totally different, isn't it? Yeah. Tavistock so. was right in the middle of the Devon. So, you know, it was miles off from loads of different places. So I was surprised anyone even got to us. But mm. um, no, I was, I'm glad they did what they did because we were running out of strength as well. Are you, a, um, are you considered the key worker then? absolutely yeah uh well i've been i've been at home so like i've literally been stuck in the house i had like three months of furlough anyway so like i was literally doing nothing in the house for three months straight so uh <laughs> i'm i'm pretty much sick of it to be honest you say that babe when else is still out now um everything's sort of come back to normal yeah did you see uh it says uh 17k cases today yeah overnight wow. I don't know, man. I just feel like we're going to end up in another lockdown sooner or later, I guess. Absolutely. Especially with the winter months coming, um, people are more likely to get pneumonia and flu, which uh, uh, messes up gonna... the immune system. So you're more yeah, it's going to end up making the deaths go up through the roof. They're going to have to end up calling another lockdown. Yeah, and it's just a repeat of what's happened in March. You know, they, they impose slow restrictions. Just at the, at the end of it, it's just going to be a full lockdown anyway. So I think, in my opinion, that's where it's going. Mm. So, uh, like, how, how does that affect the way you do you do your job? Is it, are you, like, wearing a mask while you're doing it or are you out well, there? Guidance is you're supposed to. Actually, one of the guidance on stop and search is you're supposed to stick a mask on them before you search them. But um, as you can imagine, when they're running away from you, it's a bit hard to stick a mask on them. Yeah, I was going to say, how, 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 does, how does anyone react <laughs> when you try to stick a mask on their face? Is, is the general reaction to well, run? It's, or? It's, more of a, it's more of a conversation, you know. 90% of stop and searches are just start off with conversations. And you go, you know, I'm going to be searching you, but first. Yeah. <laughs> on your face. Um, but, you know, that's only 90%. Sometimes we just forget, to be honest. Um, when we come into close proximity, like we're in custody or in someone's house, then yes, we will wear a mask. But out in the open, we tend to just focus on the job first and then coronavirus is second priority. So this one's a bit of a random question, uh, okay. but I'll ask it to you anyway, because you know, we've been asked to. So uh, what cop movie is your favorite one? Uh, that's the first one. And the second one is uh, what cop movie or cop series is the most accurate one? I tried to watch Line of Duty. I watched season one and then I haven't got back into it. I think I just some of it is far. I think with anything, oh, you know what actually, was actually really good. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched The Fool with um, Fool. Is it the guy from Fifty Shades of Grey? He's in it. Yes, yes, okay. Yes. I know. Right. I, I've yeah, watched I watched the season one. Yeah, when I watched that, everything was on point. The mm. was on point. And that is the only one actually that I've seen where anything they mentioned police related was actually true. Um, Line of Duty is apparently it's really good, but I just I could never get into You're it. breaking my heart right now by saying that because I really like Line of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm disappointed you didn't say Rush Hour. <laughs> I want you to say Rush Hour, <laughs> personally. <laughs> I do like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's another thing, but that's uh, oh, okay. yeah, based. I do like that show as well, actually, to be fair. But that's, but that's obviously not that accurate, I guess. But it is a nice show to watch. So, you know, 
There you go. I guess that's your favorite uh, non-accurate one. And would you say yeah. The Fall is the most the accurate Fall, one? Yeah. And that's a highly recommended show that if no one's seen it. Really. You know, what? You I started watching it. I didn't finish it, but because of that now, I'm going to actually go back to watching it because I want to see I want to see how they deal, mm. with, deal yeah. with stuff in that show. Mm. Dan, did you want to ask something? I think I cut you off. I, was, I, was, I just said, um, did you watch The Bill? That's all. I remember watching oh, that. When oh, yeah. When I, when I was growing up. Um, I love that. Every now and again. But not, not religiously, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, The Bill was the original, uh, you know, the original cop show, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. I think we've covered quite a bit today, especially the stuff about the Go Wisely. I did not know that. Mm. So yeah, me neither. That was quite informative. We try and be as transparent as possible. It's all mm. online. If you need any advice on stopping, so it's all online. But mm. if you're not your common day criminal, just comply and it'll be over before it even begins. And mm. hopefully, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not a nice experience, but the officers have kept it as dignified as possible. Okay. Because I get it. I've been on the other side, um, which is why I implement you know, everything I've spoken to you guys about, you know, being nice, being courteous and having that chat after the search and not just dusting and going, all right, mate, you're done. You can go now. Mm. Yeah, no, I think um, especially that little bit that we, we spoke about was quite informative. And, uh, you know, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, obviously, you know, there's always two sides of the coin regardless of where you stand on these sorts of things but it's nice to have you on just to kind of explain your side of you know how you view these kind of interactions and so yeah. on we are very grateful for you to come on today it's a pleasure um, if you guys don't have anything else then i guess uh, we'll no it was it was great yeah cheers cheers for that and thanks for the listeners for supporting us once again we're gonna big you up again you know always supporting us and adding us uh, adding to the view count and uh, like i said share it with anyone you know because any extra listen really helps us out Cheers again. Uh, Steve, why didn't you say who said having fun and being serious can't go hand in hand? That was bloody brilliant. Yeah, we went to school with I don't know if you know, but we, we actually... Yeah, like you said. Yeah, Winchmore. Winchmore, yeah, yeah. yeah. I went to Oh, no way. Ah. Maybe walk past you, like, maybe every day. You didn't even realise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you weren't mugging us, then... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Now that's Edmonton County, that ain't us, man. Oh, yeah. Edmonton County. I'll throw the blame on them. Aaron, the, he was the, the gangster. Right yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, I was a real gangster, I was, I tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> where, where would people go if they wanted to get recruited? We can just put that at the yeah, very end. Yeah. Like yeah. If you want to join the Met Police Force. Oh, I think it's like Met.police.careers or something. You just Met Police Careers on Google and then you'll get a bit about it. Um, mm. And then if you've got any questions, just ask. Uh, yeah. It is a rewarding career. I think you've got to go through quite a bit of shit at the beginning. Yeah. But it's one of those jobs you just learn as you do. And you learn by making mistakes. And people make mistakes all the time. But you learn. Mm. Once you've made one mistake, because it's so serious, like the mistakes you can make, you'll never make it again. And it just mm. makes you a better officer. That was bloody brilliant.